Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I'll be your friendly Dungeon Muser this morning. So today, I uh, gosh, it's been a while since I've uh, recorded an episode. It's almost a, a month. Uh, and I just wanted to give a quick update as to why, the reason for why there's been such a long absence and uh, talk a bit about the gaming experiences I've had in uh, 2019 so far. At the time of recording, it is February 20, 20th. So let's get on with the episode. Okay, so as of the time of recording now, all of the different games that I had planned for 2019 are now up and, uh, and running. Uh, and those include um, continuing on with my ongoing uh, Barrow Maze campaign, which is uh, run using the uh, mashup of Scarlet Heroes and uh, Revised Stars Without Number, and then some st- uh, stuff I've stolen from the Pathfinder 2nd Edition playtest, because that's the game we started with. And I needed to have some stuff for the uh, Alchemist class, uh, which doesn't appear in either the uh, um, Scarlet Heroes or in uh, uh, or Revised Stars Without Number. Um, I'm also running, let's see here, uh, Starfinder on uh, alternate Sundays. Uh, so every second Sunday I run uh, Starfinder, the um, fantasy sci-fi game. Um, published by Paizo, so it's very much kind of like an extrapolation of uh, Pathfinder, kind of like a, you know, Pathfinder version 1.5, but in space, you know, if you will. Um, I'm running first edition Pathfinder alternate Saturday mornings, running the Iron Gods Adventure Path, the uh, fantasy, sci-fi, or science fantasy kind of like, you know, um, uh, swords, and I shouldn't say that, it's not science fantasy, it's, uh, well, science fantasy with a good dose of, like, uh, rockets and ray guns stuff in it too, and and swords and sorcery. So it's like a, honestly, it's like Thunder Thunder the Barbarian, but in Pathfinder. And I've had um, I'm gonna talk about that one in a bit more detail because that's been uh, uh, it's been interesting uh, getting that one ready. Um, I'm also running uh, Delta Green with uh, a bunch of friends, uh, which is uh, proving to be pretty good. Delta Green is the uh, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, style role-playing game uh, set, or rather uh, published by Arc Dream Publishing. It's kind of like a uh, if X-Files was crossed with Call of Cthulhu uh, with a healthy dose of um, grim, uh, then that's what you would get when you get Delta Green. Um, the other things I'm running, Warhammer 4th uh, Edition uh, is being run every alternate Wednesday, or uh, Friday, I should say. Um, I think that's all of them. Uh, Delta Green, I'm just running through my, my week here. Oh, and I'm also playing in a 5th edition D&D game, which is run every um, second Monday. And so uh, the one thing, I, so here's some of the things I've noticed. Um, is, oh, gosh, how could I forget? And on uh, alternate Saturday mornings, those Saturday mornings where I'm not running um, Iron Gods, I am running... Um, Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, which is uh, the OSR uh, game based on uh, first edition AD&D, published by Jeff Talanian, um, which uh, is just, man, like, the, how could I forget that game? <laughs> Not only is that, that, that game is a um, sandbox uh, campaign uh, set in a, a uh, what do you call it, a continent of my own creation called Tula, and um, we've got a group of about seven players that, that regularly meet up and play in that, and that one's been, fuck, a ton of fun. So, I mean, of, of all the games I've run so far, all of them have been fun. Like, they've all been a lot of, um, they've all been a lot of fun. Um, I also have a, coming up this coming Friday, another of my charity games. So, uh, and I've got, 
uh, after that charity game, um, I have three more in the hopper uh, that I, I've got to do by around uh, June. So uh, I I know so far those are, um, let's see, I've got one that's going to be a Legend of the Five Rings, uh, the, the newest edition, the Fantasy Flight version. I'm going to be running a one-shot for one of the donors on the channel for that. Uh, I'm running two sessions of Champions uh, for a donor who was very generous uh, and uh, gave, uh, donated uh, $200 or a little over $200 to the um, Heroes Save Villages uh, charity campaign that we're running on the YouTube channel. Um, and uh, then after that, I've got a follow-up, actually, a second a sequel to an earlier charity session that I ran for uh, one of the uh, guys who plays in one of my campaigns, George, um, who... He plays in my Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game. And we ran a uh, Star Wars uh, session for the Fantasy Flight Star Wars game uh, for him and his group about uh, four or five months ago now. So we're going to run a sequel to that because George has made another donation. Um, so let's see here. So, so the state of the gaming is, is obviously busy. Like it's, it's, uh, it's busy, but a good... I shouldn't say, you know what? If I'm being honest, it's, uh, it is a little busy uh, for, for my liking. Uh, right now, um, and it wasn't until this week that I really started feeling like I was back on top of things. Um, the sessions have all been really good, and I've really enjoyed the players, but there is a, for myself, uh, if I'm being honest, there's a varying level of um, of obligation that's felt with some of the games, um, and it has nothing to do with the players, it's just uh, the games themselves are not necessarily something that is really engagement. But let's start with the positives first. first. Okay, so the the games that I know that I just adore, like that I just love running them and, and I love reading them and I love prepping for them and coming up with stuff for them. Um, first and foremost is Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. I just love that game. Like it's just uh, the... So some of the things that I just love about it, uh, I've mentioned before and I've done a pretty extensive uh, review uh, or overview of the game on my YouTube channel, so I mean, you can find that there, I, I guess, if uh, you want to see some, uh, a fur, you know, kind of like, um, uh, you know, top to bottom kind of assessment of it, but here's some of the things that I can think of right now, is that, for one, um, I love having it all in one book, you know, to the fact that I've got one book that I need to refer to uh, when I'm running the game, um, that's just, it's it's awesome, I love that, I've, I it's so, it feels like I've, um, I've, got a de the degree of mastery of the rules uh, that I am comfortable with, that I want for, for running this kind of game. Uh, I love that. Um, I realized recently that, uh, and this is of course just stupidity on my part for not recognizing this beforehand, but it does seem like when Jeff Tulanian uh, made the conversions from you know, uh, I, I, either AD&D or Osric or whatever, you know, the starting point for his... Uh, conversions of, uh, or customizing the rules to suit Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, because if you're not familiar with the game, and if you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you probably are, but if you're not, what it is, is basically it is an effort to make the D&D uh, first edition, or AD&D first edition rules, uh, to clean them up, to add some interesting, uh, unique twists to them, and then to make them uh, fit for the specific kind of Hyperborean setting that he has, which is uh, very heavily inspired by the works of uh, Clark Ashton Smith, by uh, Robert E. Howard, by um, uh, 
what's the name, um, H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and, uh, and those three are the ones that, that really infuse that. So I just thought, like, well, I mean, I, I guess I didn't think about it, but he has made some specific rules changes to some of the spells. You know, I noticed that uh, his version of Call Lightning for Druids is different from the, uh, uh, the Call Lightning that you find in Osric and different from the Call Lightning that you find in BX uh, and different from the Call Lightning that you find in uh, some other versions. So, uh, you know, it's... Um, I like that. I like that a lot. That that's a really and Labyrinth Lord. Labyrinth Lord has a different version of Call Lightning uh, than what you get in in Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers. Um, so that that's made me appreciate it. That there's actually been um, care and attention uh, devoted to even the the nittiest, you know, the the um, the most sort of like tedious portion of the uh, of the game, which is the, the pretty comprehensive spell list that you get in the game. So that's really great. Um, I really love how easy uh, it is to um, to improvise stuff in in that uh, to just draw stuff from other older OSR games. Like I, I feel uh, pretty confident that I can just steal as written anything from AD and D, from uh, you know um, uh, Labyrinth Lord, from uh, uh, Lamentations. From although I don't use a lot of Lamentation stuff in my games, at least. Um, uh, yeah, Adventure Conqueror King. I've been using a lot of the stuff from Adventure Conqueror King, including the rules for um, accessibility of equipment and the rules for like skinning monsters and stuff like that. I'm even using the uh, uh, Wilderness Survival Guide, uh, the old AD&D Wilderness Survival Guide in the campaign, and that's I, I love that. Like it's just it's it's such an easy integration. And that's one of the other innovations that I just adore about that game is the uh, the attribute tests. The way that attribute tests are set up in Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea is as a D6 roll. You know, it's a number out of D, out of six that you're going to roll or less. Uh, and, you know, average strength, is like 10 or so, is um, uh, three or less on a D6, whereas, you know, an 18 strength is like a five or less. And uh, that's a pretty significant difference, you know. And then there's also, those are just the regular tests. There's also extraordinary efforts. And that's not only, that's for each of the different physical attributes. And I love that. I, I just, I find that is a better, um, uh, it's a better scale for modeling the difference between someone with a, you know, mediocre or average uh, attribute and a strong attribute, as opposed to say like the, you know, Pathfinder version where you're just rolling a d20 and adding your stat modifier. And that's the difference between like a 10 and a 20 or a 10 and an 18 strength or 18 um, uh, ability modifier or ability, uh, the, the modifier is not all that, you know, not all that major. It's a 20% difference, give or take, between the two. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I um, that's just another small little thing, but I, I just love that. I love the uh, um, the non-standard tests from that uh, that system. It's just a great game, like, uh, and I love the sensibilities, the speed at which it plays, and actually, surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, one of the things that I had. I was ignoring at first was the action economy for that because the way that you uh, that uh, the action rounds work is at first your characters declare actions and uh, the each uh, each round is divided into two different phases. Your characters pick which what they're going to do in each phase, and then uh, after that the party rolls initiative, and uh, that can have some really dramatic effects and it really has an impact on the tension around that initiative roll because, you know, if you're able to get some attacks off on a uh, an enemy before they get off on you, um, boy, like that, that can make a real big difference, especially at these lower levels that we're playing at because everyone just hit third level uh, in this past session. 
So um, they're not, you know, the demigods that uh, they may become uh, at higher levels. So, I mean, that's just showering a shit ton of praise on that. But it's also, I guess, one of the primary things as well. It's such an easy play. You know, it's such an easy game to play. And it really does feel like playing um, old school in the sense that, like, the amount of laughs per minute that we get at that game around the table is just awesome, you know. And uh, the kinds of activities that the the players are, are engaging in feel, I mean, for one, like, they're so immersive, um, and they feel like the that old school style of play that I remember, you know, um, and that I've read about by, on a bunch of um, more recent blogs, you know. And an example of that is when my players spent about 20 minutes uh, in one of our sessions, uh, two sessions ago, carefully making their way across a cave and tossing a torch up in the air uh, every five feet to see if, if the rest of the party could spot piercers because they've been attacked by piercers, those... Uh, you know, um, carnivorous uh, stalactites that uh, appear in the uh, monster manuals. So that was just great. I mean, again, the tension was real for the players as they were cautiously inching their way across. And I guess one other thing is, it's not just the old school uh, elements of that. We're using Roll20 with the uh, dynamic lighting features. So, you know, as the players are inching their tokens along the uh, map, there's only a certain amount of space they can see and if they drop their torches or their torches go out then they lose that lighting and uh that's been incredible that's been definitely another thing that has added to the uh, uh to the immersion for the game and has made that uh you know the the limited amount of dungeon crawling we've been doing so far just really satisfying i think and really um yeah really great so that that game i'm i'm just thoroughly loving um another one i'm just man i, I enjoy so much every time we play is uh, starfinder Starfinder is the, um, it's a game in and of itself, like, it's it's really an interesting animal because it's not really, um, you know, it's not, it's not a sci-fi game. It's not a generic sci-fi game you could take and run in whatever world you want. I know that there's a bunch of materials that have been published for it in the, you know, year or so since the game came out that have tried to do that. But if you read the game at, at you know, as written, I mean, it is very much its own thing. Like, you know, some of the classes, it's a class-based game just like uh, any D&D style, you know, game. And um, the, uh, oh, Jesus, fucking people crossing the street again on the red light. Take your time, honey. Take your time. Um, the, uh, uh, the game has classes just like a bunch of other, you know, uh, old, like it's, it's uh, progenitor games like uh, Pathfinder, like D&D. Um, and some of those classes are distinctively magical, you know, uh, like they, um, the Technomancer and the Mystic are clearly, you know, taking place in a, in a world where there is magic. Uh, you, there's ways to reskin those to a degree as, uh, as psionics. You know, you can obviously call them psionics if you want, but I mean, honestly, like the, the mechanics are just like D&D, you know, with um, uh, rich, you know, components and uh, spells and, and the, the types of spells you're casting. So, you know, I mean, like, it, you're free to do that, but you're, you know, that's that's no more uh, a strict sci-fi game than just taking any other version of D&D and then just renaming everything and reskinning everything. Um, there's also some um, other uh, aspects of the different classes that make assumptions about the specific setting, like the um, uh, operator, not the operator, the mechanic, has uh, options to take a drone or a... Um, uh, basically a pet, a, 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 which is a drone, or uh, something called an exocortex, which is like a uh, cybernetic brain. So both of those make some, some pretty clear assumptions about what's happening in your setting. 
uh, in terms of what technology is available, in terms of uh, what, um, you know, what um, uh, things are present uh, in there. So, I, I th- you know, I mean, it's, it is something that can be, I guess, reskinned, but it really, the best way, I think, to appreciate and engage that material is as its own creature, you know, as its own thing. The, um, and that's in that, taken in that way, holy smokes, is there a lot to enjoy. Now, you know, I think that Starfinder, the setting, uh, it can be like, you know, uh, it reminds me in, in some ways of what Spelljammer was like. Spelljammer was the old AD&D second edition um, game or uh, setting that was uh, basically a D&D in a swords and planet kind of uh, space setting or sci-fi setting, well, science fantasy setting. And that game, that setting, in from past experience when I was a kid, it was a love it or, or leave it kind of, you know, prospect. Um, I adored it. I, I totally fell in for that, but all of my friends did not. Uh, they did not ap- uh, appreciate the, you know, hippo men um, who were mercenaries. Uh, they didn't appreciate the giant space hamsters. Um, they didn't appreciate the flying space, you know, manta rays. Um, and I'm, I think maybe there's there is potentially an, an element of that with um, Starfinder as well, where people might b- bounce off of the setting. In the same way, you know, uh, Shadowrun. Shadowrun, sometimes I think people... The, the mix of, um, you know, Gibson-esque uh, cyberpunk with Tolkien-esque fantasy is, is a bit off-putting for some people. They just can't get those two flavors to work together. It's soy sauce and ice cream. You know, you might like soy sauce, you might like ice cream, but you don't want them together. But uh, Starfinder, I find, is a better blend uh, of those two elements, sci-fi and fantasy, than what um, what Shadowrun is. And I, I'm a longtime lover of Shadowrun. And, uh, and the game at the table... Like the game, my, my one concern was that there, it seemed like, oh my God, there's so much complexity to this game. There's so many things I'm going to be tracking. It's going to be just like, you know, Pathfinder or the, what I've heard about Pathfinder of it being overly complicated and too focused on the, on the mechanics. Um, but that's really not the case. Like, you know, um, the, there is a lot of options for players for making things in, in the same way that there is with other Paizo games. Like Pathfinder is extremely complicated on the, uh, or can be at least on the uh, the player side, but the thing is, is you're not making. What I realized, obviously, is that I was looking at it in like, holy crap, look at all these decisions you got to make between levels one and twenty. Boy, there's a lot of shit to keep track of. But the way to not think of it is that I need to keep all of this in my head. It's like, well, what are the things that I need to know for these specific scenes? And um, knowing how, like, what the bare minimum or or keeping it to just the bare minimum that you need to know in order to, to have fun at the table is really embraced by the um, adversary system, like the way that you build uh, aliens and, and creatures and enemies and shit like that. That's all extraordinarily streamlined uh, compared to, uh, say, first edition Pathfinder because the adversaries and everything else in the world that you're going to encounter, um, the NPCs and whatever else, those are all built by a wholly different set of rules than what the player characters are. So it makes it really easy to um, not only to, to pick up and, and run, you know, encounters uh, on the fly with very little uh, prep. Uh, it also means that you can reskin things really easily in that game, and you can um, uh, you can sort um, of you can customize. You can customize your own stuff with very little effort. So those the, the the mechanical component of the of the game that that's been quite low. And the actual play, you know, having heroes who have some interesting abilities, we're flying around in space where I get to basically steal 
any idea I can conceivably think of from any existing sci-fi property, but also give it that kind of D&D twist. You know, like our last session had the guys um, sneaking onto a dystopian kind of like, you know, a corporate mining world to go and deliver a, um, a hack, basically, like a, a virus into a drone node located off in the middle of a lava sea and then they were had to fend off these magical lava creatures while they were doing that um god damn like that was just such a fucking it was so fun and so crazy you know uh and i i absolutely love that about that game like there's so many ideas that uh come to mind um where you can hang really wild ideas from pretty much any other game into Starfinder because it's such a broad setting but has its own unique flavor you can take those ideas from any other thing put them into the Starfinder setting and then give them a Starfinder twist you know make them something special that that fits with that really unique fusing of science and fantasy of sci-fi and D&D style fantasy that you get from uh, from that so um, that game Again, as it uh, as is likely evident, uh, my raving here is something I just love. Like I love thinking about it. I love running it. Um, the the action economy in it was so fun too, man. Like we the way that hacking works in that game is more fun than in I think any other game that has had that had hacking in it or slicing or whatever you want to call it. You know, like it's um, they've got it set up in kind of a way where it's a bit like a dungeon crawl where like. There's nodes you access, and then there's you can look for hidden nodes and stuff like that, uh, because there may be other hidden nodes behind firewalls that you can access, and uh, and I don't know, but with it's not in that kind of like you know full VR immersion that you get in like you know uh, Cyberpunk or in Shadowrun. Um, it's yeah, it's just great. It was it was, and it, it 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 integrates really really well with the rest of the party. So we had a really fun mobile session where, you know, p- the players were running back and forth and trying to keep the uh, these rock monsters off. And someone was, you know, flying their hover truck trying to obstruct these things from getting in. And the, the mechanics for the uh, monsters were pretty fun, too. Like, you know, they, they, uh, they had this ability... They were obviously really big and scary, but also they had this ability to, like, puke up uh, lava onto creatures and slow them down. And that's where I think that, like, a robust set of mechanics, uh, like, the, the, the amount of conditions that are listed... It's things that can be triggered by different attacks or encounters or abilities or whatever in um, uh, Starfinder is pretty fucking long. But you don't need to know all of them offhand. You can look them all up. Like, they're on the DM screen. They're on cards that I've picked up for it. So, and each of those is is really good. Like, it's good having those rules there, I think, to so we all know what's happening. It also helps that, like, three of my players run Pathfinder or Starfinder on a regular basis. So they've all got it, like their level of system mastery is pretty high, which means I can, you know, I can really lean into that and make interesting tacti- or, or uh, mechanical and tactical challenges for them. And they'll understand the, the, the consequence and the meaning, I guess, and the, the scale of risk with those things. So, so those are two games that I'm really on fire about. Um, I just love them both, you know. And if you haven't checked out Starfinder uh, either, I and you are coming from more of the old school community, you know, it, it really does look super complicated. It is not nearly that complicated in play, you know. And you, the amount of stuff you need to learn to play it. I'm actually running a one-shot or going to run a one-shot for some friends from uh, the OSR community uh, in uh, the coming months. And uh, um, 
yeah, like I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see whether that's true, whether, whether I think that uh, there's so much... The, the, the amount of stuff to love about that game uh, offsets whatever extra complexity comes from that game, you know, uh, then, um, uh, you know, it's certainly a more complicated game than what uh, the um, many of the OSR games are. It's certainly more complicated than Ash, for instance. But, but anyway, um, so that's the games I'm really on fire about right now. Just I just really love running those games, love reading those games. Now let's talk about the games that are sort of in the middle ground. Okay, so uh, I titled the last section Games I'm Loving, uh, and I realize there's one where I should have included in there uh, because I continue uh, to be impressed with the uh, Barrow Maze. Uh, Barrow Maze is the um, campaign that I've, I've been running for about six, maybe five or six months at this point. Um, this will probably be the sixth month of it. We're about 32 sessions in right now. And um, we have uh, made the switch from Pathfinder 2nd Edition, uh, initially, which is what we started to, to run with that, to uh, a, the combined version of um, Scarlet Heroes and uh, Revised Stars Without Number with a bit of Pathfinder 2nd Edition thrown in for flavoring and I guess maybe a bit of my own stuff thrown into the uh, thing that... A set of rules that we're now referring to as the Madhouse Rules, um, which is cleverly named by one of my players. Um, the uh, that campaign is going really great. Like every time we play that, I have such a good time. It's uh, it's a nice, it's a fun, surprising kind of um, uh, exercise for all of us. We all know sort of what's going on in the sense that the players are going to go and explore the Barrow Maze, um, and then every now and then there's there's interesting little wrinkles thrown in where something will happen that sort of informs the overall story that uh, changes what the players are going to do and, and uh, a great example of that came from our last session where the players after a, a set, about three sessions where I just rolled shit for random encounters where I, I kept like nothing was challenging the players apart from whatever they were actually finding in the uh, you know, in the barrel maze, and they, they, um, in the actual dungeon itself, they managed to make some really good progress. I finally rolled a random encounter that was eight trolls, and the players fucked up their surprise rolls, so we got eight trolls ambushing the players, and they didn't have any uh, abilities that did fire damage or acid damage, so it was, um, while characters are pretty durable in um, uh, Scarlet Heroes, or the uh, heroic versions of uh, Revised Stars Without Number. Um, holy crap, was it a scary encounter. They lost an NPC that they uh, had just rescued from the Barrow Maze. Uh, they nearly lost two of their members. Uh, it, it was a really uh, scary... Actually, God, they almost had a TPK. Um, but the thing is, is in after, after they left, the, the great thing about the players um, is that they really have embraced this sort of sand... The sandbox element that says that, you know, once something comes into this, in the campaign, it's got to make sense in the sense of the, you know, in the context of the overall narrative. And they're like, holy shit, like, we found tr a band of trolls that was only two hours travel from, uh, from Helix, from the home, from the town we're based. Like, we can't leave those things alive because they're going to start hunting people going back and forth. That's a fucking problem. We need to deal with that. And, like, that sort of uh, embrace of the, you know, random generation, but you know, uh, 
not triviality, I guess, uh, of the random generation tables or random elements uh, is just awesome. Like it's it's uh, such a fun uh, session, such a fun um, type of gameplay uh, because uh, I think not only because it's you know the system is really easy and fast to run and whatnot too, but just the setup for the campaign is so easy uh, to um, uh, to run. You know, like I, I just need to show up and find out what the players are going to do, and then we've either got the, um, if they make it to the Barrow Maze, and that's what we're doing for the night, if not, then we're dealing with whatever's coming up along the way. Um, so it's, uh, in comparison to more, you know, story or plot-driven uh, campaigns, it's, it's an extraordinarily easy thing to run. Plus, it's, it's a really great product. Like, it, it's, yeah, it's just, it's such a uh, fun thing to, um, it's, it's so full of easily accessible uh, background, like, um, filler, you know, or, like, set dressings, I guess, is the word I'm looking for here. Um, the, the town itself has really very, uh, easily identifiable and, uh, recognizable NPCs in it, which makes for, you know, the, the, the hometown does have some real flavor to it. Uh, so, so, yeah, so that campaign is, is also going terrifically well, and I, I don't anticipate, uh, leaving that one behind anytime soon. We've also started, uh, running, that one on, uh, we had been running it on every Wednesday and every second uh, f- uh, Friday, but um, because of the other games we're running, I've, I've swapped uh, one of those Fridays out, or one of the Wednesdays out, um, and uh, the Fridays we've I've actually officially set as just a flex day, like if someone tells me they want to play that day, then we'll play, but we've actually had some really good, for the last two Fridays, we've had really good turnouts for it, so... Um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know. That's I think it's a great game. We're seeing some good progress on on the characters in it. Uh, even when characters die, it's easy to to introduce new characters, uh, and we've had um, some at least one new player drop in too, which has been uh, pretty cool. Having someone jump in for a session, and uh, yeah, I mean that that campaign's that's exactly what I had hoped for that campaign, and it's. Um, I guess not only is it a lot of fun, it's also been really educational for you know. Uh, things that I can manage in terms of um, background preparation, how to make uh, you know, use of the uh, of pre-made material like that um, that's been really helpful and I think will inform the other games that I'm running in the year um, yeah, I don't know, and, and it's really also I guess uh, made me appreciate the um, uh, the, old, the old school style of play that I've, uh, I've been enjoying so much this uh, past like six months or so or eight months, so so yeah, so I mean that campaign's uh, definitely uh, still in my uh, love category as well. So um, that's the love. Let's talk about the campaigns that I'm kind of not not on the fence about, but kind of like middling about. Uh, still good campaigns, but uh, they're not the ones that I'm just you know I'm uh, dreaming of. Okay, so that is uh, the games that I'm you know I, I'm really really uh, enjoying, and loving looking at, loving prepping for. Um, now I'm talking about the games that I'm not the end. This is by no means that like these games are are not things that I uh, am enjoying. It's just, uh, or nor is it any fault of the players or anything. It's just these games are not quite the unabashed joy, I guess, that I uh, that I have with some of these others. Uh, nor are they quite as easy, I guess, to run. And I, I'm I've got some interest. I got some ideas as to why. So one of those is, uh, and this is definitely the. It's very close to my loving. I'm the the campaign itself is off to a really great start. But this is my, my Warhammer 4th Edition game. So there, uh, for the Warhammer 4th Edition, this is going to be uh, something where 
Uh, I am running for three, uh, two of my uh, like regular regular players, and then uh, one of my friends uh, who is from the local gaming store, who we have talked about gaming for, or not talked about game. We've talked about gaming in general for quite a while, but never actually game together. And uh, this is our first time gaming together, and it's awesome. I mean, like I am like a lot of um, well, what I'm assuming a lot of other adult men are like in that it's it's sometimes tricky to really make uh, friends, and I do like gaming with friends. So uh, this was the first time gaming together, and I'm uh, I'm really enjoying that. We've got some um, in the uh, campaign. We've got some interesting characters. We've got four, sorry, three different um, humans. Uh, we've got a river warden. We've got a thug, and we've got a flagellant. So it's a it's a you know um, not a lot of casters. So we're not really having to deal with that kind of stuff. It's it's a fairly mundane uh, group, but. Um, yeah, we started the first session of an old, um, of a, like a reskin of an old Warhammer uh, adventure called Night of Blood, and uh, it's been pretty good so far. You know, one of the things that, that I recognize from it is when you're starting off a campaign, um, there's going to be that, a bit of an awkward period at the start of it where players are trying to figure out what they're going to be doing. You know, when do, when do they get to jump in and, and grab control of things? And the only campaign where I have not experienced that of the new ones that I've been kicking off has been the Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea one. And uh, part of that is because the, the guys who I'm playing with in that campaign, or I have as the players in that campaign, they're all like absolute veterans of role-playing games, right? Like, and in particular, that, that type of uh, OSR game. But the other thing I realize is, so that one started with like um, the players on a beach uh, stranded, and then just sort of went from there. You know, like, we know that there was, uh, we didn't do any in-game backstory as to where they traveled from, nor did I, I do that beforehand. We just uh, started with them washing up on a beach, we know there was a shipwreck, now you got to survive, guys. You, you don't have any food, you don't have any water, what are you going to do? And that's kind of what we did, and that's, and the, the game's been propelled forward ever since then, We and we haven't ever dealt with that kind of place setting or, or whatever, or the, um, not place setting, the set dressing. We haven't done any of the, the kind of buildup that I would normally do in some of these other campaigns. And that's, that's been pretty, uh, um, that's been pretty good. And actually one of the other ones, my Iron Gods campaign that I'm running with, uh, Pathfinder first, uh, that one has been, that was pretty good too. Everyone hit the ground running with that as well, but I did a different kind of introductory thing there where I basically you know, picked up, just kicked off the scene the flashback and then uh, jumped into one of the players and then slowly over the course of the scene introduced more and more characters to the uh, uh, to the game until we had everybody introduced and uh, and we were just uh, you know all the whole group together was was going on with the campaign and um, Warhammer's a little slower partly because I think the players weren't uh, quite as familiar with the setting and probably not quite sure what they're supposed to do because the adventure didn't really start off in medias res and I didn't rework it well enough to do that but once we got going on it it was a lot of fun and, and a lot of um it it felt sort of um I think like immersive in a gritty way in the same way that like low level play in a lot of class-based games are where you know you got to be careful you got to be cautious you got to be taking in all the different uh you know, um, elements you can to judge the surroundings, you know, like examine places to search for ambush or, you know, look for traps and stuff like that because it can kill your character pretty quickly. Um, so that one's been really good, but I'm not... Uh, the And 4th Edition D&D, &D, or 4th Edition D&D, &D, 4th Edition Warhammer 
is a good game. Like it's the books are just beautiful. Like I, I love the art in it. Uh, it feels like they've used a lot of the artists that they worked with. It's published by Cubicle Seven this edition, and uh, feels like they've got a lot of the same artists they worked with on their um, One Ring role playing game, the the Middle Earth, uh, the most recent Middle Earth role playing game, and uh, and I love the art in that too. So this works out really well. It's a great looking game. I love a lot of the mechanics in it. Um, but I'm just, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm enjoying the cam. I'm enjoying the players uh, a lot. I mean, they're great. Everyone I've got in the group is a great group. Uh, I enjoy the rules. It's just not quite gripping me the way that some of these other games are right now. Uh, and I don't know why that is. I'm, I'm going to have to think about it, about, uh, about what it is that I need to introduce to the game to get my juices flowing because uh, it's not the onus. The onus certainly isn't on the players to get me jazzed about it. And there's nothing wrong with the game per se. It's just getting me going again, I guess. And in that vein too, our um, so our Delta Green game is about um, three sessions in right now. Two or three sessions in, and uh, that one as well too. Like uh, I, the original idea for it was not only to have a regular kind of cast and, and whatnot. Uh, to play through this, it was also to involve an audience a little more, and we have have had some uh, some audience participation to a, a very limited degree so far. But really, there's not enough mystery and not enough uh, clues that are available yet for the for the audience to get involved with, or for the players to really interrogate. And uh, we're only now at the point where we've had this kind of you know we've we're about let's say like if this is the um, a three act play, we're only part way through Act One right now. And um, I, I, I think, you know, I was going to say that, like, I'm just, it's just, the game is not grabbing me. But I think maybe it's because I'm not pacing it the way that I want it to. Maybe I need to, to jazz up the pacing a bit and get things moving a little closer, a little faster. I mean, next session is going to be the session where the players, you know, get their clues. And I don't know why I'm saying clues like that, but I like saying it that way. So I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, they're going to get their clues and they're going to start, you know, discussing with each other what it means and whatnot. And uh, um, I expect there's going to be a, a bit of a rocky, or there may be a bit of a rocky um, uh, interface between the players and that kind of gameplay. Because I've always found that, uh, that to be the case whenever you're transitioning from a game that is more, you know, like exploration or adventure based to something that's more of a cerebral, like, let's try and figure this out. Mystery based stuff. Uh, for almost every group that I've run with, uh, is often a bit of a rocky transition. Not, but once it gets going, though, like once they figure out that oh, I need to be figuring out where I need to go based on what I've got before me, then I think it'll work out fine. But that's another game that I just have not. I've not been super. Ex- I've not been super excited about it. Um, not because of the players, not because of the content. Just I don't know why. I mean. Uh, the, the game system is perfectly fine. Uh, maybe because we're not making the, you know, as much, we're not seeing as much happen uh, in each session. So maybe it's my own impatience that is affecting that. The players haven't said anything, uh, nor have I gotten an indication from them that they're, you know, dissatisfied with where things are going. But um, but I think that uh, I, I might need to, you know, give that about two more sessions and then kind of reassess whether it's the game that we want to continue on with. Uh, because I just... What what I was hoping to get out of that game 
is not quite where we're at right now. And I think that's, again, it's, it's partly, not partly, it's 100% my fault. Like, we're not, we're not at the point right now where the players are doing what they're going to be doing in the campaign, which is to say, figuring out what this conspiracy is and, and interacting with the clues and chasing them down and having the bad guy react to them, you know, and me revealing the evil shit that I've got planned for them. None of that stuff's able to happen just yet because we're still at the point where we're setting the tone. And this level of slow burn is probably, um, I think it, I may have uh, put it a little too slowly, but um, and maybe that's why I'm, I'm feeling a little dissatisfied with it because we're just not into the meat, whereas every other game I'm running right now is, uh, is at that stage where we're actually like, we're into the, to doing what the campaign is going to be about. Hmm. So maybe you guys have actually helped me already sort out what my problem is and why I'm not jazzed about that particular campaign. Probably the same reason I've got with, uh, I'm having difficulty with Warhammer as well. It's just that we're not really into that world yet. You know, we haven't had that chance for the players to put down stakes and, and whatnot and start doing what they're going to be doing in the overall campaign. Although I did introduce a bug mutant at the end of that session. So I think that we are getting pretty close to it and we will definitely be into that uh, uh, that ballpark uh, come next session. So those are the two that I'm sort of um, I'm not uh, necessarily um, you know I'm, I'm not getting so excited to, to run all the time. But I think that that um, I think I've identified some reasons why. If you have any suggestions as well too, as a you know maybe things I could do to better you know to a uh, different way I could think about this stuff or. or uh, Maybe if you've identified a problem in how I've described these things, I'd, I'd be um, more than happy to hear from you guys uh, to uh, see what you think are. What, what ways do I, can I, what can I do to make myself more engaged with, uh, with those two games? Hmm. So that leaves uh, those two. Uh, I guess we're then on to the games that... Uh, yeah, Pathfinder, which is going to be my uh, Pathfinder is the uh, game I'm running on uh, alternate Saturdays when I'm not running Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea and uh, that particular game is was really interesting um, I have gone so Pathfinder First Edition I have only really run for an extended period for very short periods of time and I've never really had a great I've had pretty good experiences with it sometimes, and then I've all alternately had times where it's been incredibly frustrating for me. Uh, and the reason I found it frustrating was because I felt that uh, players were spending or were devoting more of their focus towards the mechanics of their character than to the story necessarily. And I also have felt uh, the same constriction I felt since 3rd edition D&D, which is to say that, you know, the whole assumption of balance about third I always found constraining and I never really liked you know the idea that every uh, and over the course of exploring the the OSR and playing a lot of uh, OSR games that's helped me realize why I, I didn't like that is because I just don't you know I hate that um, that artificial gaminess that that comes with that kind of uh, assumption of, of balance um, for whatever reason, I, I, I felt that uh, Pathfinder 2nd and Starfinder and 4th Edition D&D with the, you know, pairing everything to your level, for whatever reason, that didn't bother me as much uh, as, the, um, as the, those assumptions about 3rd Edition. But, but anyway, um, the, uh, 
but Pathfinder, I uh, because I love that Iron Gods adventure path so much, I, I and because I had to be honest, so much fun uh, prepping and running the uh, first couple of sessions of Starfinder, I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna get this in the schedule and I'll get it going. And also, every time I listen to the Glass Cannon podcast, I hear how much fun those guys are having with Pathfinder first edition and I think well what well like I can make it work and um what I did rather than um you know just playing with some existing friends uh I actually specifically looked for uh people either I hadn't played with before or people who were just viewers on the YouTube channel uh to try and again expand so not only was I playing a game that I hadn't played very much I also was expanding my uh, player base and one of the ways I, I looked, because to be honest, I was concerned about finding players for it, was I looked on the um, Paizo message board as well, too, which is where I got about half of my group. Half of the group are people who are come from the Paizo message boards. Uh, half of the group are people who uh, were viewers on the YouTube channel. And then one person is also, uh, uh, one of my players is a player in my Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game, too. So that's been uh, fun having him uh, cross over between those two different, very different um, uh, styles of, of game. And so over the course of creating characters for it, um, I started having that same real worry uh, where I was worried that um, the people who... Okay, so I guess like maybe I should set the... So my, my assumption was, and the stereotype I had, I guess, of the Pathfinder player, was that these are people who you know, feel that the rules as written is the th you know, altar at which you pray, right? Like that everything has to be written, run as written, that you can't bend the rules, you can't do, you can't fudge dice rolls, you can't fudge rules or whatever, you can't just, you know, house rule things because that will screw up the experience and there's a, you know, quote-unquote right, capital R, way to run the game. And um, you do encounter a lot of that on the message boards of Paizo, uh, unfortunately, and there's a lot of toxicity I've found there about... Uh, I mean, there's been some good people on there as well, too, but just it's, it's, the overall impression I have uh, received is just it's a lot of people arguing about mechanics, and that really put me off a game that I uh, often found myself really enjoying. But one... What ended up happening, I guess, uh, one thing that, I, that came as I was hearing from the people who were on the message boards was basically a bunch of what I, who had joined the game from the message boards, I should say, was a lot of the stuff that, that really put me off about the mess, the Paizo boards, which is to say that like there's like a right and a wrong way to build a character, or a right and a wrong way to play characters. Not only your own, but also other people's uh, characters. And that's something I fucking hate. Like, I hate when someone is trying to tell someone if someone wants help building a character in a role-playing game, that's one thing. And that's, I totally support that. That's great. That's how we help people understand the rules and help them in, you know, find the ways to enjoy the character creation systems that are present in all the games we play. What I don't like is someone saying, what you're playing is, is suboptimal or wrong and this is what you should play instead. And that's bullshit uh, because I don't like that. So anyway, what I... Um, that was really bothering me more and more with what, in particular, with one um, specific player who I had concerns with because uh, there were some uh, guidelines that I set for character creation that were then ignored, and then <laughs> yeah, so I was just like I was a little concerned about what the the actual campaign might be like then. So what I ended up doing, rather than just turfing the whole thing, because I was considering that, I was just like, you know what, this is causing me more anxiety then I want I want to just enjoy this thing I've been waiting to run it for a long time I don't want to fuck it up because you know we're on the wrong page but rather than like you know taking my t toys and going home 
what I did was I shot a video and uh, it's a private video and I sent it to the players about half an hour long of like this is what I expect here's how I plan on running it for those of you who haven't played with me or haven't watched the channel here's how I run games this is what I intend to do and the response from everyone was overwhelmingly positive everybody was like cool thanks so much for letting us know that's great and blah 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 and it made for a really really fun first session but so the other thing that was interesting during that time though even when I was, I was getting a little concerned about it was seeing that the reasons the players were making certain mechanical decisions was completely from a story base you know a, a story perspective so the great level of detail that you get to to invest in your Pathfinder character because there's a shit ton of ways to specialize your character with archetypes for different classes and uh, all sorts of different crazy shit. Um, the players were doing that and investing and, and making all these little decisions and stuff like that. The kind of things I like doing with uh, that particular system. Um, and they were all doing it for story reasons. It wasn't for min-maxing reasons or at best, it, there was a, a um, mechanical reason for why that, that was a good you know, option but there was a damn good story reason for why that was a decision as well, you know? And um, that was awesome. I mean, to, to demonstrate that level of system mastery to support making precisely the characters you want was really cool. And uh, it also got me hearing what how the other guys in the group were, were running Pathfinder in, in, with a whole bunch of house rules and, and uh, fudging things and whatever and then... I, it just really made me like, wow, you know, uh, there's a bunch of different ways I could use this game. It really helped me appreciate what people really enjoyed about Pathfinder. It wasn't the stereotypical thing that Mathfinder kind of approach that I had in my mind as to what the Pathfinder player is like. And really helped me understand a lot of and see a lot of commonalities between what they love about it and how it played at the table for them uh, and how I like playing games. So... Um, so yeah, so anyway, that's, um, that's what one of the things that's been really interesting about that game. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I am excited about that game and I'm, but the thing that I think is the most satisfying for me coming from that is, uh, when I went into running the Iron Gods, my reason for going to, to run Iron Gods was because I was like, all right, this this will be a safe space for me to run or safe context in which I can run Pathfinder because it's pre-generated encounters. Uh, I don't have to judge things and I can't fuck up the game. Uh, it's got, you know, loot set out for it. So this will be a, a, a good way to for me to experience Pathfinder. But as, as soon as we went through character generation, as soon as we ran that first session, and as soon as I heard how the other guys were running it, I immediately started thinking of other ways I could run Pathfinder and give it a try. To that end is why on Friday I'm running this charity session with Pathfinder instead of 5th edition D&D. And um, it's actually, I'm going to be using some of the optional rules from the uh, Mythic Adventures handbook, which again, like the, the characters are crazy complicated, like there's five page long character sheets, but with the players that I'm playing with, I think that I'm, I'm giving them every opportunity to make sure they understand how these characters play so they can see it as a variety of options available to them and cool things they can do in the session rather than being just an overwhelmingly complex um, game. And I, this could go really poorly, uh, and it could be just that the characters get, their players get lost in the complexity of the game, and, and uh, there's a reason why these OSR games and, and why 5th edition D&D is a better option for casual play or for one-shot play. But I'm really hopeful that 
by setting up the way I am, by having these pre-generated characters in Hero Lab, by providing them a week beforehand, um, you know, with all the rules and stuff I got in there, that this will allow us to play Pathfinder the way that we play every other game and enjoy all the fun, interesting complexity that comes from that game in a cinematic way that, that is enabled by the mythic rules. So will this work? I don't know. But I mean, I've run GURPS before for this group. I've run um, Hero for this group before, and those games are no less complicated or no more complicated than what this is. So so I don't know. So that's the interesting thing is that the, the about this is that this experience uh, has really helped me see Pathfinder First Edition in a even... Like, I always had a, a kind of a fondness for it. Um, I love the products, I love the art, but this really helped me understand that I could try and run Pathfinder the way I like to run games, which is to say with those old school sensibilities. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I actually have got versions of our Barrow Maze characters together with uh, Pathfinder now as well. And we might try a session out with it, see how it feels. We started in Pathfinder 2nd, now we're in a different version, maybe this mythic version will allow us to play that kind of hero mode that we've gotten used to with Scarlet Heroes, but give the players a little more certainty as to what things can do and can't do, but also give them a little more options to play with, you know, a little more decisions to make in terms of uh, tweaking the character to fit their specific goal. Hmm. So anyway, that's where things are with the other games on my list. So I guess the last game I can talk about uh, that is streaming on the channel is actually one that I'm not running, it's one I'm playing in, and that's the 5th uh, edition D&D uh, campaign playing, or running, um, not running, playing through uh, Curse of Strahd. Um, so we are two sessions in right now, and I the first session was a lot of role-playing and a lot of kind of us talking to some NPCs and stuff like that and to each other and, and meeting our characters uh, because we, it sort of, the session started in Medias Res with us sort of like being swallowed by the mists, you know, kind of stuff. And uh, um, I, so the things I, I'm enjoying are the characters. Uh, I, I love my character. I, I just, um, she's awesome. I, I, I'm playing effectively this, um, you know, smart-ass little... And I, I sound like the worst character that I would want in my campaign. Um, but I'm trying to... So she's a little smart-ass. She's a, a druid who is a charlatan uh, as her background. So she, um, you know, she's not quite as powerful as what she says she is. She pretends to know things that she doesn't know the answer to. You know, that, that kind of... Um, that line from um, Captain America Winter Soldier where... Uh, Black Widow says, I don't know everything. I just act like I do. Uh, that's kind of like her in a nutshell. Um, but she is very much, I'm making sure she's playing as a team player. I'm making sure she's playing as as what her role is, which is to say she's largely a support character. I've got uh, um, some, I tapped into, uh, use a feat to tap into some warlock abilities, but otherwise she's playing as a druid who's really going to be kind of the, the heel bot because the other two characters are a rogue and a ranger. And um, I, uh, where we are right now, so we finished a session two, and um, it's going okay. And I, I think that um, the last session, we're in the point right now where we're in a bit of a railroady stage of the adventure. It's a thing that sort of gets things going. And I am just such a contrarian at heart that I really 
I railed against any kind of enforced constrictors, you know, and uh, and it's not because of the way the DM is running it uh, by any means. It's the way the, the adventure is written. And um, I just, you know, like I know that this is what's part of the pre-made adventure and I know that we just got to get through this stuff to get to the, the points where we're going to have some options for doing things. But, um, and it's, this is very, very helpful for me uh, as a, because I'm normally the DM to really appreciate that, you know, Players don't always fucking like being, you know, trapped in things, you know, like so obviously forced into things and then obviously trapped in things. And again, this is 100% the, uh, the adventure, not, the, um, not the, the way the DM is running it, nor the other players in the group as well, too. But just, you know, those, um, uh, the, the TSR um, games, uh, or the TSR, the uh, Wizards, the D&D 5th Edition Adventures, um, the ones that I've read so far, I, I've read cover to cover the uh, the first two ones because I, I was running those at the time, and I have read through to varying degrees the other ones since. Some of them I've run read all the way through. Some I've read bits and pieces to get a sense of what the adventure is like, and um, they are all for the most part very structured you know, um, adventure paths, very much like what the Pathfinder, uh, the uh, Paizo uh, adventure paths are. But I don't feel like they're quite as good as the, they're not as good as the Paizo ones. I think as they're, I mean, they're shorter uh, than what some of the Paizo ones are. And um, um, I don't know. I mean, I just, for whatever, I, I, maybe it's because I'm, I, I've been playing such, uh, in so many new settings that the banality of traditional D&D stuff is just, you know, if I never play in the Forgotten Realms again in my life, I'm going to be completely satisfied because I just, that setting bores me to tears. Um, and I know that that setting is very popular from a lot of folks, so that's great. It's, if you like it, it's fine. It's just not for me. Um, and uh, same thing with a lot of the other settings too. Like I just, uh, now that I've seen, um, you know, Barbarian Conquerors of Kanahu, uh, I, you know, uh, and um, what's the other one I uh, picked up recently? The... Uh, there's a fifth edition one uh, product, third party product, uh, Krinoff, uh, that uh, is a very Athesian kind of feel. Like well, now that I played those two things, why would I ever want to go back to Athos? Athos would, would seem tame by comparison to those two things. Um, uh, Dragonlance seems quaint and railroady at this point. So, like, why? I I actually went back and looked at those uh, adventures recently, and just they're so railroady. The great maps, I love the maps in them, but my goodness, it's very much you know, leading you through a story with a stick. And when I compare that to the style of play that I've been, uh, when I have most often played, uh, which is in um, uh, my buddy Jason uh, Hobbs, his uh, Kalmata campaign. I love that campaign. I love having the wide open setting. And actually my buddy Carl, Carl ran a great uh, other Dust game too that, that really felt like we were making what our decisions were as to where we were going to go. They were just, it's exactly what I loved. I loved just seeing what happened. And... Um, I think maybe that's the reason why I'm not quite at this point. We haven't really reached the point where the story's really going, and we know we're getting hints of what's going on, but we're not playing often enough for long enough, I think, to really dig in deeper. But that's... I'm finding myself a little dissatisfied with that game right now. Again, nothing to do with the way that the DM is running it. It's just the nature of that adventure. But I'm going to keep going because it, it is, as I said, uh, it's. I'm having fun with the other players. I love my character. And um, the DM's doing a good job of running, you know, the adventure, at least as, as the adventure is written. Um, 
but I really, you know, the next game I really jump into uh, to, to play again, I'm really looking forward to playing a sandbox thing because I, I really do, I really enjoy that style of play. I enjoy not having to, you know, I, I, don't, th- I don't think I need to have uh, someone lead me through a, a pre-written story, you know. If I want that, I'll watch TV or I'll, I'll watch a movie or, or something like that, you know. Uh, or I'll just read the, those adventures. But for... For me, I, I want to f- have at least the transparency of being able to choose and go and whatever else where I where I want. And I guess you know that's so one one counterpoint maybe to that about the Curse of Strahd adventure is that well it's horror and part of horror is disempowering your character right is is to uh, to make your character feel weak and vulnerable and and whatnot and uh, it's fair dues. I just don't think that the way that the adventure what we've experienced thus far has done a particularly good job of doing that. It doesn't feel like it's a natural horror. It's not, it's not something that is naturally evolving around us. It's, you know, we're forced to put our hand in a bear trap and then the adventure is asking us to be surprised when the bear trap hurts us. It's like, no, you, of course you fucking told us to do that. This is not anything shocking or, or dramatic or whatnot. And we're very early in the campaign, so maybe it's going to expand out. But anyway, um, that's what I, yeah, I, I think that uh, for myself, uh, I, I would be, um, I, I think that when, if I do commit to another uh, game to play long term, it's definitely going to be more towards something that is um, uh, open. Uh, actually, so speaking of that, another uh, Anchorite is actually going to be kicking off a Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea uh, sandbox at some point, and I, or Hexcrawl at least. And uh, I am really looking forward to that because I have not had a chance to play the Sorcerer's Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I guess you know, and this is maybe something that is fitting in with my recent, you know, uh, uh, dive back into Pathfinder First Edition. But I don't feel like Fifth Edition D and D is. I feel like it's a, a shitty halfway mark, and I don't mean it to sound so negative about it. It's just, you know, like, um, it feels like it's got more dressing to it, like more kind of accoutrements to your character than what you get from OSR games, which is fine, you know. Um, but I'm not sure that they, they're not far enough as what Pathfinder gives you. Pathfinder gives me a lot more detail, a lot more ability to, to really customize my character on the mechanical side, which is sort of what 5th edition does in a half, you know, in it to a degree. And, you know, um, it means that I understand why then, why 5th edition is such an easily accessible game, because in particular, people who are not coming from that kind of more crunchy mindset, or who just don't want to, you know, that level of complexity, they don't need that, that much complexity in their game, um, then it's a, a perfectly fine game, it's a perfectly fine compromise, uh, you know, it, it hits that spot where it's fast playing at the table, it's easy to pick up and, and uh, improvise uh, sessions, or uh, um, uh, improvise encounters, and uh, you do get, you know, the advantage mechanic does give you uh, a lot of um, a lot of uh, opportunity to uh, to improvise and, and support good role playing and inventive ideas at the table. But I don't know. I mean, I um, I feel like uh, if I'm gonna if you're gonna go in that direction, when you know what it is is maybe because I mean OSR games are still pretty complicated like there's there is a lot of stuff going on in your character sheet in terms of your gear 
You know, like the whether or not you're carrying a rope is a big deal when you're dungeon crawling. Whether or not you're carrying a grappling hook or, you know, a lantern or how many torches or, or whatever. Like all those little things that uh, if you're enforcing them in an old school dungeon crawl, then it's the stuff that helps play up that verisimilitude. Uh, so there is detail in those games as well. Um, and I feel like fifth so far has kind of glossed over a lot of that stuff. So it feels more like, I don't know. I'm not, I, you know what, it's, it, I, it's my first time playing fifth, so maybe I just need to play a little more. Um, the thing I do like about fifth is the cantrips. I've mentioned that on uh, a previous episode, but I don't know. Like I'm just, I, I'm, I'm finding right now that I think I would, um, I think I would be more, satisfied with the game and you know what another thing i guess this is just because the um the numbers or the bonuses feel fairly low um that i my characters feel like even the things that i'm i'm supposed to be quite good at um like my bonuses are, are only about plus three or plus four or something like that um maybe they're plus six but anyway they're, they're not huge my, certainly my bonuses to hit are minuscule. It really feels swingy right now. You know, it feels like like my the things I'm optimized with and the things that I'm suboptimal with, there really doesn't feel that, that much of a difference between them. And I get that this is a first-level character, but if I was playing in Pathfinder, I would definitely feel those differences, you know? And um, if you're gonna... If I'm playing in an old-school game, then that's fine. You know, I, I, I would... Uh, well, it depends on the old school game, I guess, because in Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers, the things I'm good at, the things I'm bad at, I am going to tell a mechanical difference. You know, I, I mentioned at the outset of this episode about the different uh, skill or the attribute chat tests, how, you know, how impactful that uh, the, using the D6 and scaling it to your, your attributes is, it just feels better than just rolling a D20 and adding a modifier. I don't know. I didn't intend this to turn into a shitting on 5th edition thing and, and and there's a lot I do like about this that system but I don't know I mean, you know like I mean there's it's interesting that I would rather go with an old school game or with a crunchy game like Pathfinder over running fifth edition and I thought for a while that my reason or my reluctance to run fifth edition for quite a while was just my again like my contrarian nature that this is the game everyone else wants to play so why would I want to run it I'll run something different um but I don't think that's it you know I think that well it's probably part of it to me to be honest but I don't think that's the only reason I think that fifth edition there's something there's some other things about it where it just feels like the halfway compromise where that will satisfy some but it doesn't satisfy me it feels like I'm getting half two halves of a game, I guess, that I, I would much rather uh, be playing. Um, but who knows? You know, one good session uh, from now, maybe I'll feel differently about it. Um, and we haven't really... I guess the other thing is we're, um, we're not really interrogating the system all that much just yet. You know, like, uh, we're, we're not really having an opportunity to have complicated fights where you know, um, decisions about using healing resources and, and spells and whatnot is coming into play. But, uh, but yeah, um, but that's where, uh, where, I, where I'm too. It's, I'm, I'm playing in that game and uh, it's, uh, I, the adventure is, I'm not, I'm not super enamored with it just yet, but uh, fortunately 
great players I'm playing with, great DM I'm playing with, I, uh, and uh, and I love my character. So, you know, that will be enough to, to propel me forward. Man, a lot of negativity this episode. Sorry, I really didn't want to... Uh, let's, let's end on a positive. So here's the positives out of this, too. Is even these other experiences, even these, these games that are subpar, uh, uh, or at least I'm having what I feel like is a subpar experience, they're certainly informing uh, the other games, and they're, they're helping to provide a contrast, you know, to for me to celebrate the games that I'm really, really excited about, you know? And uh, and that's what we, I think, as a hobby in general, I guess, we really should do... Uh, this sounds really preachy, but I mean, this is something that's worth bearing in mind, I think, that it's it's okay to just focus on the things that you like, the things that really get you excited, you know? the the Especially for, for the DMs in, in the crowd, the DMs, it takes a lot of work to, to put these sessions together. It takes a lot of work to, to run them. You know, a lot of effort, a lot of energy... Um, it, it requires a lot of, uh, and we, and in, in a long way too, we're, we're putting together that community, uh, the D, part of the DM's role is getting that group together and, you know, giving the reason, the group a reason to keep coming back and partly by, you know, being a hype man and keeping people excited to come back for each of those uh, sessions. We're in a way we're building communities and what better way to, to, you know, keep that energy up than focusing on the things we really, really love, you know, and giving us, uh, and in a way, an opportunity to share those things we love with, uh, the people we want to be spending time with, right? Our players, our wonderful, wonderful players. So anyway, that's probably a good place to end it on a bit of a flaky positive note. So that's all for this week. That's a pretty long episode. Uh, so <laughs> sorry, Hobbs, if you do make it your way all the way through this, sorry for <laughs> making such a long episode for you to listen to. But hopefully this will make up for the drought in content over the last uh, month. I guess that's the other the thing I'll maybe close with is um, it's been great. And uh, this whole process of talking through the games that I've been running in the last uh, six weeks has helped really put, um, you know, st- stir kind of the excitement. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's worth bearing in mind that there is such thing as too much of a good thing. And, uh, you know, uh, running this many games as well as um, some uh, charity uh, sessions as well, too, as well as having a pretty busy uh, day job. Uh, and trying to make time for other things like, you know, spending time with my son and stuff like that. It, it does make for a really, really busy schedule, which is, uh, you know, not uh, with the, the polar vortex that uh, sort of hit all of North America in the, um, in the last uh, couple of weeks, too, at, t- at the time of recording. Those sub-Arctic temperatures were fucking awful. So the combination of those things and a pretty busy schedule, all things uh, in, made for a pretty pretty exhausted DM on my time. And uh, it was part of the reason why I haven't recorded a, an episode up until now. But, you know, getting back in, uh, and recording another one of these has really helped sort my head in terms of um, identifying problems uh, that I, I think I, I have had with those other two uh, games and providing a way to sort of deal with those and, and it, or at least identify them and then take some time to figure out how to tackle those problems and get through the uh, rocky patch at the start of these campaigns. So thanks for that. Um, thanks as well for listening too. And as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this, uh, please don't hesitate to uh, shoot me a message on Anchor, to shoot me a tweet on Twitter at Dungeon Musings, or you can reach me on uh, email. And my email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening, folks, and I will be back again soon. Until then, happy gaming.